Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here, and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast. Now, today we've got an interesting podcast lined up for you. We have a lot of geopolitical events going on at the moment. We have Brexit. We have Trump. What impact does all of this uncertainty have on the Australian M&A market? So to dive into this topic more, I've invited along Rod Hall from HHMC Global. I've worked with Rod and Richard at HHMC on many deals with offshore-based buyers, and I know that they both regularly travel to keep a strong pulse on the global markets and movements M&A. So Rod, hello. It's so good to have you back here again on The Deal Room. Thank you, Joanna. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. Look, I have to say that I really enjoy all of our discussions, Rod, and I feel like we're all in for a treat today to talk about some of these interesting international topics and maybe delve into the relevance of those topics to our little market here in Australia. So look, let's dive straight into it. Let's talk about Brexit. Let's talk about Trump. What's your analysis here of the likely impact of these types of geopolitical events? There is no doubt that it's very hard to avoid any conversation anywhere in the world that doesn't have you know, some, some analysis of, of what's going on at a political level. And in terms of being a business owner, it really does impact you because not only all of the normal things that we used to talk about, like distances are shrinking and technology and social media are becoming enablers for us to do business anywhere at any time, but we've got these political activities that are just uh, jumping all over us and, and occupying the, the airwaves and occupying the, the mainstream media. Mm, Absolutely. And, you know, it creates uncertainty. And many people start talking about, well, what impact might Brexit have on us here in the Australian market? And I know we're a long way away from all of these other countries and the certainty politically, but it does have impacts and it will have impacts into the future, I feel. Where do you think the risks are? Where do you think the opportunities are at the moment? Yeah. And I think it Love to talk about this because it is having, you know, it, it is a major impact. And I think it's not one of those things that you can put a, a common brush across and say that all of these international changes are having the same impact. And I think the impact country by country or region by region is quite different. So specifically with Brexit, when you're in the United Kingdom and you're talking to business owners there, they have a very international view of the world and they don't just operate within their own country. They operate um, across borders uh, quite naturally. Um, so it's not unusual for somebody to be sitting in London and doing business in Germany or in the Netherlands or somewhere else. And so therefore, Brexit actually has a direct and valid um, um, impact and change on what they see their business is going to be in the future. And it does come up in conversation and it's a major part of what they're thinking about and how they're trying to plan for the future. And how are they planning for the future? What are some of the strategies that organisations are putting in place at the moment? One is to make sure that they aren't just European-centric. And so already strongly in the recruitment industry and have that focus. And already we're seeing a a massive number of UK companies starting to do business in other locations. So for example, the investment between the United States and the United Kingdom, I think has gone up 
incredibly in the last couple of years since Brexit has been talked about and the vote was taken. And from a very selfish point of view as an Australian, I also look at our position and how we might be able to take advantage of what's coming in the future as well. So the Far East, you know, investment into Asia has been quite strong over the last decade or two. But I see that the potential for Australia is very, very strong. So, and that could be in all sorts of areas. So, for example, we might not have ever created a free trade agreement between Australia and the European Union because there's too many conflicting components there. But I would imagine once Brexit is completed, then things like a free trade agreement and, you know, a a revisiting of Australia's preferred status with the United Kingdom might just come to the fore. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then, and then how do you think that that will impact? I mean, th- there's two impacts that I'm particularly interested in. You know, what impact might that have on, um, on businesses within Australia and what impact might that have on the M&A market for Australian businesses? So I, I guess there's sort of two, two different, you know, opportunities here or, or interesting areas. But maybe firstly in relation to what impact might that have on our market here, I guess it's suggesting that maybe in in a very simple form, there's more buyers potentially here for Australian companies. Yeah, look, one one of the things that I think will happen is trade, as I mentioned, and, you know, I don't have anything directly to do with that, but I think any time there's an increase in trade between two countries, then a lot of other things follow and the services industries are one of, you know, do follow and grow. But I think the really important thing will probably be the improvement in the way that Australians can go and work in the UK or have their qualifications recognised in the UK and similarly UK qualifications recognised in Australia. And and that leads to an easier movement of people between the countries. And for the recruitment industry, I see that as being a, a massive opportunity where Australian companies will want to be based and have an investment in the UK and vice versa. I think UK companies will look at Australia in a very positive manner. And we see that a little bit already, and I just think it will increase in the future. And so I'm very, very positive about, um, you know, the way that we will work together and the and the preferred status the two countries will have in the future. Mm. And so as a consultant in the M&A area, then does this impact the strategies that you put in place or the areas that you play? I mean, how, how does this impact your view of the market from your perspective in terms of what you're doing and how you interact with it? Yeah, well, I'm very pleased there's a direct flight between Perth and London now because I think I'll be using I'll be using it a little bit more than I, I would have in the past. I, I think I don't think it'll have a direct impact on valuations. I think we've already seen a you know quite a change over the last five years or so in terms of uh, maturing of the market in Australia and the positioning of the different types of companies and where they're valued and how that's going to be valued in the future. So I think that's pretty well done. What I am hoping to see is that I hope. There will be more private equity investment in Australia. Um, Within the recruitment industry, there is strong private equity investment in both the United States and in the United Kingdom, but very little in Australia. And that's one benefit that I would hope would come because the private equity investment leads to almost a pull factor and makes companies want to be better to be able to meet the criteria that those guys set. And anything that raises the overall quality of what's going on within the industry is a positive thing. And I guess on the flip side, we're talking here about opportunities. I'm also interested to understand whether or not you think there's any threats that that Brexit might pose. Is there anything that you're seeing on the radar that Australian companies who are perhaps thinking about maybe selling in the future at some stage in the in the near future should be 
aware of or be thinking about in terms of risks or threats coming from these changes? Yeah, possibly. It's a bit hard to tell. I mean, nobody knows what Brexit is going to be. Nobody knows what the rules are going to be. Nobody knows the time frame. So it's very difficult to actually be concrete in terms of either benefits or risks. But the European Union does seem to be exerting or, or flexing its muscles a little bit. And, and the latest privacy laws they're bringing in, which come in in a few months' time, the GPRS, seems to be one of those examples of where they're flexing their muscles. We've all got used to the United States making very authoritative positions in terms of saying, we will be able to access your data no matter where it's stored. And now the European Union is, is sort of stepping up to that level by saying, I don't care where you are in the world, you're going to have to follow our rules on these things. And so how all that evolves and how you know the two regions start shaping up against each other will have an impact on us and will have an impact on the way we do business and how we can do business. But you know, I, I, I try not to think about the negatives too much because I think there's there are some positive things that are going to come out of this. And when there's change, there is usually opportunity and, and Brexit is certainly a change. But it does need to be taken into account with all of the other countries and all the other countries are doing things like Japan and the United States and so on. Mm, yes. And so so then I guess that leads into my next question. So we've talked about Brexit. We've talked about the UK. Outside of that set of geopolitical issues, you know, what else are you seeing in terms of major trends internationally? The media likes to talk about the United States and Trump, and you've, you've mentioned Trump already. I've spent a fair bit of time in the United States over the last couple of years. And what I've been surprised at is that once you get within a group of business people, politics is never mentioned. Their, their local economy is so strong. Um, the business opportunities are obvious and in front of them, and they're just getting on with it. And so even when there's things like talks about visa changes and so on, they just sit down and work out how to deal with it and they get on with it. And so politics doesn't actually take up that much time in, in the business owner's mind in the mm. States. That may be an oversimplification. but <laughs> And the domestic market is so strong that, that international activities sometimes easy to just dismiss and carry on with what they're doing and what's in front of them. And so when I look at services industries like the recruitment industry, we hope that they start looking more internationally because that will have a major influence on whatever happens in the world. But at the moment, there's a very small percentage of companies that actually move outside their own domestic region. Coming up after the break, we continue our conversation with Rod Hoare of HHMC Global and look into the trends in the Asian markets, in particular Japan, China and India, and how these trends impact our M&A environment here in Australia. And finally, Rod wraps up by giving us a helpful criteria for businesses wanting to open themselves up to potential buyers from international markets. And that's next. I'm Joanna Oki, and you're listening to The Deal Room Podcast. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition or to discuss how we can work with your clients if you're an advisor in this space. 
So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Or if it's easier, just shoot me an email at joanna at aspectlegal.com.au. interested in hearing smart legal tips for business, the Deal Room sister podcast, Talking Law, is perfect for you. These two podcasts are now among the top legal podcasts in Australia. In our Talking Law podcast, I dissect a different topic each week that I have seen impact businesses and I then provide actionable tips for you to avoid that risk or to use that legal area to your advantage. We release new episodes every 10 days and you can listen to our episodes through www.talkinglaw.com.au or subscribe to our Talking Law podcast on iTunes to be the first to know when a new episode is out. Now back to the show. Welcome back. Earlier, Ryder gave us his analysis of how our domestic markets might likely be affected by the geopolitical events in Europe and the United States. Let's keep the conversation going and shift the lens over to Asia and discuss how trends in the Asian markets impact our local M&A environment. Okay, interesting. That's very interesting. And I, and I guess, you know, my next question to you probably moves then to Asia. We have a number of common clients coming out of Japan. That seems to be area at the moment that that is quite active in terms of investment out of Japan and into countries like um, Australia. What sort of themes are you seeing coming out of Japan at the moment? Yeah, Japan is is fascinating for the recruitment industry and for the Australia in particular. Um, they have purchased a, a, a major percentage of the Australian recruitment industry over the last four or five years. It's approximately twenty percent of the domestic market has been acquired by Japan in the last in the last while, and and. There's this perfect scenario of them being able to do that where they have low interest rates in Japan, they very low interest rates, lower than Australia. They have a lot of cash. It's a saving economy and the banks have a lot of cash. Their domestic market is not looking that strong out into the future. It's actually declining. And there's a very strong nationalistic feeling there with the Olympics and uh, World Cup rugby and all of the things that are happening and putting attention on the, on the country of Japan. And so there is this moment in time for strong Japanese companies to step outside Japan and create global entities. And they are doing that and doing it rather well. And so they're a driver of M&A, not only in Australia, but also in Europe and the UK and some instances in other locations as well. And, and so we've seen the result of that, and I don't see that's going to slow down for the remainder of this decade. So I think we've got another three or four years of, of that very positive activity. Mm. I, I was looking at some statistics recently that suggested that last year, around about a quarter of mid-market acquisitions of Australian companies had offshore-based buyers. And certainly saying here in the recruitment industry, it looks like we're 20% with Japan, you know, yeah. based companies itself. So I have a feeling recruitment is probably a little bit higher than that 25% yes. offshore, you know, figure. But I guess what are the things, well, first, let's start with 
Japanese companies buying into Australia. Let's start there. What are the type of businesses that Japanese companies are particularly looking for? So what's what's the key criteria if a business here is wanting to open itself up to the potential of buyers from international markets, in particular Japan, yep. what should they be thinking of in terms of setting up their businesses so that it's most attractive? Yeah, that, that's a really good question because there is a lot of misconception there. And the, the recruitment industry especially is is an industry that allows people to start a business and there are very low barriers to entry. And so you have a lot of startups and a lot of small businesses. And it's very difficult for sometimes the owners of those businesses that are quite profitable and strong in their in the, their own right to understand how an external party might view them and the risks and, and the criteria that an external party and an overseas party might put uh, when they're coming to look at those organisations. And what it comes down to is that there's only a very small percentage of the companies would meet the criteria of of satisfying an overseas buyer. Um, Mm. So for example, if you're coming from one culture to another, um, or if you're coming from a long distance away to to another area, then you're looking for things like stability, like strength of management team, uh, sustainability, size. So you're you're looking for all of these criteria that most organisations in the recruitment industry in Australia don't have. Mm. And being able to to build that sort of corporate environment and get above average in size, above average in performance and so on, is a complex and time-consuming task. And uh, there's not that many organisations get to that level where they become attractive to an overseas buyer. And I guess that then creates quite a long shopping list for our um, for our owners who are looking yeah. to ready their business. But I think as we mentioned before in the podcast that we recorded together, which I, I think was episodes five and six. That's right. It was five and six. Perfect. Yes. Five and six for anyone else who wants to go back and have a listen to those podcasts. We talked about the benefits to a business in building its up itself up to be a saleable asset in any event because it makes it a better business to run. Yes. And I guess the same is true here in in the discussion about setting your business up. If you are considering a sale in the future at some stage to be attractive to offshore entities, it's perhaps, you, you know, you're putting that bar even higher in terms of the standards that you need to be creating internally. But as we said before, it's, you know, in in trying to attain that goal, you're also building a better business as you go that is better to run. That's right. And some people see these things as, as an exit strategy where, you know, somebody's going to come in from overseas and write me a big check and I'm going to disappear and sit on the beach. And that's really not how it is. People are looking to invest in growing businesses and they're looking to harness that and and work with like-minded people out into the future. And so sometimes an investment from a an overseas organisation is for less than 100% of the equity and it's about building a joint business plan to go forward. And so people need to have a, this medium-term view of, of what they're going to be able to achieve and the growth they're going to be able to achieve and, and how the two parties can, can add value to each other. Mm. And so it's sort of like but not like um, listing your business where listing and becoming a public company is also not an exit strategy. It's just the start of the next phase. And quite often, if you are looking to exit, then that will immediately make you not attractive to an overseas buyer. Mm. Uh, I mean, you have quite clearly seen lots and lots of deals from offshore entities buying into Australia. Do you have a particular perspective on what makes a deal 
and transition post-completion of the sale most effective? So what sort of, and I guess, you know, some of these things that I'm interested here is the approach of the of the sellers themselves. Is there a particular type mm. of business or seller that this really works well for? Yeah, there is. I think that the, the businesses that either have a, first of all, in their makeup of their revenue streams and so on, they have a, not, a large portion of ongoing revenue, whether it's from temp and contract or whether it's from some managed services like RPO and so on. I think those things um, give a little bit of substance and strength to the organisation going forward. Those that are very um, highly sales driven, uh, that are doing perm recruitment and having to go out and sell it again every day, sometimes are a little bit more fragile when there's a whole range of other things that need to be focused on, like I now work for a new owner and we've got to integrate and do all of those things. The, the second thing is, is that you can't fake the sophistication and the complexity of the organization or the corporatization of the organization. So a lot of organizations are run, even though they might be sometimes large, they're still run as a, a very owner-focused and owner-dominated business. And you can't just fake that into the future. So building the sophistication that not only in how you run your finances and so on, but also in your strategy decision-making and in, in your day-to-day -day management and delegation and structures going forward is really important because it gives you the strength and the capability to be able to handle change and to be able to work as a team to to solve the issues as they come up. Mm, okay, they're really good points. And then I guess on the flip side, are they things that you have seen that can be particularly problematic for businesses that are wanting to open their um, buy market up to offshore buyers. I guess one thing that really pops to my mind at the moment is just a, quite a simple one, but one that I have seen create issues in the past, particularly with offshore buyers, which is complicated business structures, because sometimes organisations in Australia like to overcomplicate business structures. And, and I have seen that that can be off-putting sometimes to offshore buyers. Are, are they other things like that that you've seen, Rod, that um, can create issues without the owners here realising that they're driving in a particular way that is going to create issues? Yeah, look, it is worth emphasising what you just said then because we just had another transaction fall over in the last week or two that was mostly around the sophistication of of the financial accounts and the un understanding of the balance sheet and so on. So business owners in, in services businesses understand their profit and loss statement really well. They tend to not understand their balance sheet very well, especially when the business gets a little bit bigger. And if you combine that with a legal structure, which, which is just wrong for being able to go forward and do a transaction, that always has personal tax implications. It has a whole range of um, cost implications in terms of being able to get ready to actually do the transaction. Transaction. And if those things are not sorted out ahead of time, it just becomes too hard. And the buyer usually has choices and will just go somewhere else because it's too hard. So, so getting yourself really well positioned so that you are easy to deal with, you're ready for the transaction, and you, you make it a not more complex than it needs to be is something that is hard to convince somebody of because it usually means they've got to go and spend time and energy and money to resolve the issues that they've got in their business and, and prepare themselves to, you know, make themselves a shiny, attractive uh, object um, and, and be ready for those conversations. And I, I think as you're talking, it's just occurring to me that I, I think some of the issues that sometimes occur when businesses think that they're going to put in plan, um, uh, sorry, put in place a plan to build themselves up for a future sale is who they're consulting at that point. Because if they're consulting accountants and lawyers and other advisors who don't, aren't involved in the M&A space, sometimes they might not 
be getting the right advice in terms of how to make themselves most attractive at that point of sale. So I, I think it's also about engaging people like yourself who understand what the what makes um, the most saleable business and will open up the greatest range of buyers. And looking at that early, but as I said, getting the right people in place to help with that decision-making early enough that decisions can be made and implemented to have an impact. Yeah, look, look, it's absolutely true. And so we have a long, a long list of things that we like to ask organisations. And, and that, you know, very broadly goes into two categories, which is the internal things. And, you know, I just mentioned balance sheet, for example, and getting working capital in place and getting debt sorted out and legal structures and management structures and contracts and all of those internal things that, that sometimes get left aside or don't get focused on enough. But there's also the external components, which is how your image and how you are presented out in the marketplace and actually whether you're a very insular company or not and whether you've actually been involved in your industry and you know what's going on on a global basis and you've socialized yourself with people overseas so that you can have that conversation when it needs to be had and so there's this sort of internal and external component that needs to go on but but in in addition to that you know organizations need to be be ready for the conversation by making sure that they have are able to actually understand their business from a perspective of what an external person might want to talk about um so Quite often in an internal conversation, you might talk about growth or your budget or something like that. From an external perspective, people quite often want to know how you rate yourself against benchmarks or um, how you uh, may look at yourself from um, a different perspective. And being able to do that and be able to talk about it with the cultural differences that come from overseas is sometimes very difficult and takes a lot of energy to actually get yourself into that position. Mm. So if I'm if I'm running a recruitment business and I'm really interested in all the things that you're you've been talking about here, what what's the first steps that you would recommend to me? How, how do I practically go about you know being aware of the external environment, getting more involved from an international perspective of understanding where the Australian market is and what my business needs to be doing? Yeah, we do talk to a lot of organizations about that and and um, and it all starts with a cup of coffee usually and we will talk through you know what the goals of the shareholders of the business are and the time frames that they're looking at and just try and offer some some reasonable advice in terms of um, where we think their priorities need to be and where some of the focus needs to be into the future and that can't happen if the owners of the business are deeply involved in the day-to-day running of the business because this is definitely a task where you need to separate yourself out so that you've got the time and the, the headspace to be able to think about the future. What are you seeing that in China and India and the rest of Asia, I guess? What, what's happening across the board in Asia other than Japan? <laughs> well, within the recruitment industry, Japan is the number two market in the world. It's actually a bigger market than the UK and most people don't appreciate that. And we're also sitting here in Australia and we're very, you know, basically on the same time zone as as two or three billion other people. If you consider India and China and, and Indonesia just on our doorstep. And from an economic point of view, China and India are, are obviously going fantastically. And we haven't yet seen the influence of the large companies in those organized in those countries starting to come into our country as they look to expand. So so there are there are organizations that have started to expand within Asia, but we haven't really seen that come into the Western countries of which um, Australia would usually be the first opportunity for them. Right. So here's your pick here. This is the next wave. Is that right, Rod? 
I think so. And and I actually, even though the recruitment industry is larger in China and there are more big companies in China, I, I, without any evidence to back this up, I think that they will have an influence probably in HR tech rather than in HR services before India, which um, seems to be more service oriented. And I would like to see uh, some of the really good organizations that come out of India and and offer their services around the world. Mm, Fabulous. And look, this might be a bit of a strange question, Rod, but work with me. (laughs) For for M&A advisors who who are in different industries, um, obviously, as we've spoken about, you specifically work as a specialist in the recruitment industry. But where do you think the opportunities are for M&A advisors generally to upskill themselves in their own industries in relation to the sorts of things that you've been talking about today for them to be able to provide more value-added services, I guess, over and above just um, broking and introductions to their clients? Yeah, look, I think this is from a personal perspective. I think until we started traveling, we didn't really understand either the opportunities or we didn't understand the industry. And so so we've, we've become avid uh, devourers of uh, global research, travel a lot overseas and go to conferences and try and meet as many people as we can. We try and understand the differences and similarities between the different markets so that we can talk about that sensibly. But I also think there's some technical things that that you need to either learn yourself or align yourself with so that you need to be able to pull in the right people into the conversation or at least hand over to when, when it's beyond your level of expertise. And that will be slightly different for every for every industry, but things like all the employment issues within us within the recruitment industry and what happens on an international basis, you need to be able to contact the right people and be able to solve your customers' problem in that area, or at least educate them in that area. Um, similarly, you know the impact of private equity and and so on. So there's a lot of different topics there that that only come from getting a really good global view of of your industry and and making sure that you can quite legitimately talk to people um, in in a sensible way, but from a very broad perspective. Mm, Fabulous. Well, as always, Rod, you have shared with us some um, really useful insights. I think you have got a fabulous book that you have recently written and that you have available for free. Is that right? For your website? Yes, that's right. So on hhmc.com.au, we've provided an ebook, Business Valuations in the Recruitment Industry, and it's available for download. And uh, look forward to any comments and questions you might have on that. Mm. And look, I guess, you know, there's lots of ebooks around the place, but I just want to reiterate that book is actually a really, it's a really detailed look at valuing a business in the recruitment industry. So, and I think it's important to, for people to understand that because, uh, you Know, whilst there's a number of ebooks out there, yours is actually a published book as well, isn't it, Rod? That is. Look, we, we have uh, printed it and, and provided it to uh, some of our clients, and uh, but it is available as a free download as well. Yep, great. Okay. All right. So if you're in the recruitment industry and you'd like to know more about valuing your business, then you should definitely pop along to HHMC's website, which once again, Rod, can you tell us that website once again? Yes, it is hhmc.com.au. Great. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Rod. Thanks a lot for coming on our show. It has been illuminating as always. Thank you. It was great to have Rod on board to talk to us about the commercial realities on our domestic 
M&A market of recent international events. There's also a few things from a legal perspective that it's worth bearing in mind if you're a business that's gearing up for a potential future sale and you think that you might want to open your business up to the potential of attracting buyers from international markets. So from a legal perspective, as well as from a commercial perspective, you need to start preparing early. In this podcast, we briefly touched on issues that a complicated or inappropriate business structure can sometimes cause. And it's really imperative that business structure is reviewed well before a possible sale. Because if a structure isn't likely to be attractive to an offshore buyer, you might feel it's worth restructuring in advance of the sale. And often restructuring is most effective when it's done well in advance. The choice of structure can also impact taxation outcomes on sale as well. So it's certainly useful to be aware of these impacts well before you start engaging in any sale discussion so you understand how much you will end up with in your pocket and you also understand the impact that your structure might cause on the pool of buyers will be available to you and also the different modes of sale that might be more or less attractive depending on what your structure is now or what you intend it to be going into a sale. You should also be thinking about tightening up the legal protections within your business so they can withstand scrutiny during the due diligence phase. This is relevant in preparing for a sale no matter who you're looking to sell to, but even more particularly relevant if you're looking at attracting a sophisticated corporate buyer who is willing to pay top dollar. These sorts of buyers in our experience are likely to have an experienced team working with them in the acquisition. And the better your business performs during that phase, the less likely you are to have your sale price impacted or at worst, the whole transaction threatened. So you need to ensure that the legal components within the business are reviewed with a mind to what the buyer will be looking for. Because buyers hate risk. You should be considering how your contracts will perform under scrutiny, how your organisation will be viewed from an employment law perspective. You should be looking carefully at what IP the business has and how that IP is protected. And all of this should be done well in advance. So crucial changes can be made well ahead of time in order to provide you with the greatest pool of buyers willing to pay top price. So on that note, I think that's a wrap for this podcast episode in which we discuss the impact that international events are having now and are likely to have in the future on the Australian M&A market. So if you'd like more information about this topic, head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com or aspectlegal.com au and look for the tab the deal room podcast there you'll be able to download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail there you'll also be able to find details of how to contact rod Hoare at hhmc global and how to get a copy of his book which is essential reading for businesses in the recruitment industry on our website at aspect legal or at the deal room podcast.com you'll also find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisition or if you'd like some assistance in reviewing your business for its readiness for a future sale or if you'd like some assistance in progressing through a sale or acquisition that's already in motion. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity so don't hesitate to book an appointment for free to discuss with us whether 
whether or not we might be able to assist. And finally, I really hope you enjoyed what you heard today. If you did enjoy it, it would mean the world to me if you could please pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. But thank you very much for your time in listening in today. You have been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast. See you next time. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to the Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au.